Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahay. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast uh, and today's guest is a good friend of mine. Uh, I think we met about a year or two ago now but uh, we've had some great conversations in the meantime and uh, recently bumped into Michael. Um, I think it was about three three months ago now when I was keynoting at a, uh, a conference for the air and uh, defence industry uh, and Michael and I ended up having lunch together and a fascinating conversation which actually has never left me which is the reason why Michael is sitting uh, in front of the camera today. So Michael is a great guy. Um, he's done so much in his life. Um, Michael was uh, one of the first few people of colour, I would say, in the British Army and rose to very high levels, uh, to the rank of uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, spent over three decades in the British Army and then uh, <laughs> certainly got the taste for the defence industry because he then continued and he now works as a business and development executive for MBDA. Michael, welcome to the Human Centred Leadership Podcast and please do explain uh, the roles that you've played in the Army and that you are playing in MBDA. Thank you, Cole. Uh, great, great to see you again and thank you very much for this invitation. I really appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, so going back to my, my military life, um, started uh, in 1979 when I joined the army um, and it was just going to be a short stopgap really to really get away from the environment that I was in. Um, but I ended up really enjoying it. Um, uh, so I ended up spending over 37 years in service and um, I started out as a gunner in the, in the Royal Regiment of Artillery and uh, went through uh, many different roles um, as a soldier, uh, rising to uh, uh, warrant officer class one, regimental sergeant major. Uh, I was fortunate enough then to commission. And uh, with that commission, again, I was fortunate enough to, to get to lieutenant colonel, um, which is you know the highest rank, um, uh, someone who's come through the ranks can get to. Um, so uh, I'm very, proud of that achievement and it's not just been my own effort it's been uh, to a large degree uh, a team effort uh, for those that I've met along the way and that have helped me and that have mentored me and that have been role models for me um, have enabled me to be able to, uh, to, to, to reach that final rung on the ladder uh, before leaving. Initially on leaving in 2017 I went straight into the defence industry so I worked for DSTL uh, Defence Science and Technology Laboratories in Porton Down. Uh, many people would have heard of that. Uh, and I was there for 18 months, uh, really enjoyed it. And then um, MBDA uh, come knocking and asked me to join them uh, because of my air defence background. 
and they needed you know an ex officer with an air defense background at that particular time so they invited me to interview and i've been there now um just over three and a half years and absolutely loving it so i'm uh, a business and development executive so uh, looking at um, bringing equipment into service with the british army uh, that's been on contract and also looking at uh, future contracts so what's the future equipment uh, from an air defense perspective, what's the future ground-based air defense equipment going to be uh, for the British Army? Um, how's it going to be developed? What are the development timelines, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I work very closely with the MOD, very customer-facing, um, in order to uh, deliver that capability on time. That's brilliant. And, and you know, um, MBDA is quite a niche organization but it's quite a large organization i'll be honest i hadn't actually heard of mbda until you and i started talking and i started looking at what this company actually does it's it's a phenomenal company and involved in all all sorts of um highest level sort of pieces of work around the defense uh, air defense uh, and missile industry isn't it it's a global uh, company um, I obviously work for MBDA UK, but we also have MBDA Italy, Germany, Spain, France, uh, and a number of offices uh, around the world, uh, including uh, Poland, um, uh, United Arab Emirates, um, Australia. So it, it truly is a global size uh, company, and uh, primarily um, it, it you know it builds missiles. There's lots of other associated equipment around that, but its primary focus is to develop and build uh, missiles for the defense industry. A truly global company. It's, it's based in so many countries around the world. So one of the natural questions that I've got in my mind is around this cultural awareness. And, and I'm guessing that every single country, you know, MBDA Italy will be significantly different to MBDA UK and USA and so forth and so on. Um, do you get the opportunity to connect with all of these people from these fantastically different different countries and cultures? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the great things actually about the job is that we work in a very matrixed way um, against different projects and different programs, which means that I could be part of a team that involves Italians, French, Germans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, you know, there's quite often travel to some of the other countries as, as part of those teams to discuss things, to bring things together. Um, I also sit on a, on a NATO forum uh, for GBAD. Uh, and again, that gives me uh, wider and greater exposure to the other countries. But you're right, in terms of uh, culture and about uh, uh, politics and how we go about doing things, um, they are very different. Um, but sometimes, you know, what's different is actually what ends up drawing us together. I love that. I love that. And it feeds right into the kind of conversations that you and I have had in the past uh, and at two levels. Firstly, you know, in order for us to build these kind of relationships with people that are coming from wholly different cultures from around the world, we have to have that ability to build relationships, to to build that connection. And that for me is emotional intelligence in practice. Uh, and, and I know that from what you've said in the past, you, you have to do that. So how do you go around building re these relationships from cultures that are so different to ours? Well, first is to try and understand what that culture is in that particular country, that particular business area. Try and understand what that culture is. So you're not going in cold. So you have some kind of understanding. Um, being open and honest, I think, is really important. Um, listening 
is really important as opposed to speaking all the time until you understand the sort of environment that you're in. Once you understand that environment, and once people start understanding you, then you can start making those meaningful connections as opposed to just connections. And that's what's really important. When people realize that you are a serious person, but, uh, but uh, a good humored person, but you know, of this person and that person, but at the end of the day, they realize that you are a human person and that you, know, you empathize, you listen, uh, and that you want the best for everyone, uh, you know, truly to be inclusive. Um, then, then once people get that from you, you start getting that from them. And then that culture starts to, starts to change and starts to grow. I love that, Michael. I mean, it comes back down to a really basic thing, doesn't it, at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. And you and I have operated at very senior levels in our organisations. We're at sort of similar levels in the police and the army. But it doesn't matter what level that you're operating at, uh, within an organisation. And it doesn't matter who you're trying to connect with. At the end of the day, it comes down to your uh, ability to demonstrate empathy and human connection. Because, as you say, it all comes down to you being human at the end of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing I think is really interesting is how uh, your understanding of EQ, emotional intelligence, feeds into this whole area of inclusivity. Now, you know, you're working in an organisation where there are so many different cultures uh, that come to the fore, and I'm guessing that you're talking to junior staff that are also coming from a whole multitude of cultures. Um and we talked about, you know, the challenges in terms of how you build relationships, but also the beauty of these cultures. Um, what do you mean about the, the beauty of all these cultures coming together? How does that uh, support MBDA's strategic objectives, priorities? How does it drive their business better? I think it's well documented now that uh, a diverse workforce makes for a better workforce. And uh, um, in terms of benefits for the company are greater overall with a diverse workforce and a non-diverse one. Uh, so we embrace that. Um, we've got uh, an organization, Employee Resource Group, uh, so an internal group within MBDA uh, called Mosaic, of which I am co-chair. And we look at championing ethnic diversity within uh, MBDA. Uh, but we've got many other groups. We've got a pride group, which looks at the LGBTQT plus community. We've got um, uh, other groups that look at uh, gender. Uh, we've got other groups that even look at um, mothers and toddlers and, and uh, those that are going through the menopause. So, so we have many, many groups um, within MBDA. And intersectionally, we all communicate with each other. We support each other, which is really important. And we make sure that um, the messages or, or, or the points that we're trying to highlight to bring around true inclusivity is pushed up to the very highest levels. And we've had you know, huge success within MBDA in doing this. Uh, and it's meant that our seniors have sat up, they've looked at what we've had to say, they've acknowledged that things can be better in any company, things can be better. And I would say that from MBDA's perspective, it starts from a good start point. Don't misunderstand me. It's a great, great place to work. But Every organization can be better. And the good thing is that, you know, my organization, MBDA, is striving to be better. Uh, and we have the support of the seniors. So it's fantastic. 
And, and that's one of the most important things. You know, you, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we'll end up living in a world of con, uh, constant and continuous improvement. But um, and, and nobody will be perfect. No organization will be perfect. It's all, almost impossible because one person's definition of imperfect of perfect is, is different to another. Uh, but the desire has to be there. And if the desire is not there, I mean, I work with a lot of organizations and, and I've got to I'm blessed to have got to a position where I can I can refuse clients as well. Uh, so if I get an organization coming to me that just wants to tick a box, I can walk away from that because, as you, I've worked in the diversity space for like three decades now. I'm really passionate about it. Um, but I've come across a lot of organizations that have said, hey, we want to pull together a program that's going to help aspirationally and skill-wise these minority groups within our organizations to start excelling to the senior levels of the organization because that's when we know that we've got true diversity and true representation. Uh, and, and we've seen some incredible results as a result of these programs, but those only come from those organizations that really want to do that, you know, rather than just ticking a box. Uh, and, you know, inclusion is a word and diversity, inclusion, all of these are words which have become almost like buzz phrases. And I have my own views around diversity and inclusion. Um, but what does inclusion, what does real diversity mean to you? And what does inclusion look like? It means not just equality, but equity. Okay. Yeah. That's really, really important. Uh, it's not about positive discrimination. It's not about giving uh, people an advantage because of whatever their background is. It's about, it's about equality, but even more than that, it's about equity. It's about everyone having the same opportunities, the same chances, the same options as everyone else. No one's asking for a head start. No one's asking for a leg up. No one's asking for a free pass. All everyone wants is the equal opportunity to the person standing to the left and to their right, regardless of who those people are. That's, that's what true inclusion means. And it goes beyond color and gender and, and all the rest of it. You know, it goes to people's backgrounds, you know, whether you come from a wealthy background, a poor background. It comes to the way that you speak, you know, whether you've got a strong regional accent or whether you, know, you're, you, you, you don't articulate as well as somebody else. You know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You should, it, the, the, your environment should still be inclusive. You should still have the opportunities to get where you want to get. And if the training is there and the experience is there and the opportunities are there, <clears throat> then you should absolutely be able to thrive. We see so many organizations, um, and the police service was, was one of these organizations because it was forced to do this. Um, uh, it was it was always chasing targets around diversity, particularly around uh, BAME. Uh, and it was about, you know, we want a percentage of our new recruitment to have to be of uh, fr from a BAME persuasion. And one of the things that I've always found uncomfortable with that kind of mindset is that uh, you can become very target driven. Yeah. So let's assume that your target is 4% BAME or 4% women or whatever it might be. And you go out and you seek any candidate that looks like that and you bring them into the organization. The problem with that is twofold. Number one is, are you bringing them into an organization that embraces that difference and encourages that difference? Or are you bringing them into an organization that's, that's still stale? And consequently, this freshness that they bring in suddenly becomes quite stale or becomes, you know, sort of uh, pushed down a bit. Uh, and the second issue uh, with this for me is that um, you, how do we know that just because we're hiring another brown or black person that they're going to think differently to the majority? 
What if they've been to the same school as you? What if they live in the same area as you? What if they have the similar sort of mindset, thinking, and so forth and so on? So this is about demographic diversity for me in terms of the difference, you know, physically and emotionally and uh, and psychologically how they how they look and feel, but how they operate, how they the uh, the the new and fresh ideas that they might bring into the organisation is about cognitive diversity. So at the end of the day, for me, inclusion boils down to creating a culture that's emotionally intelligent where everybody feels seen, heard, valued and appreciated and that freshness uh, of thought is absolutely welcomed and appreciated rather than just tolerated. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and we're tackling it in a number of different ways. So internally, trying to make sure that that culture is right so anyone coming into the business comes into the right environment that they can feel free to to thrive and to speak and to do whatever they want and to feel comfortable uh, uh within their environment in terms of the the recruiting uh, you're absolutely right so you know what we try and do now is you know if, we, if 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 we're recruited into an area then let's look like that area we're trying to recruit into yeah if you can't see it you can't be it if people can't relate with you, then people won't approach you or feel comfortable with you. So if whatever environment you're going into, and of course we, we recruit, you know, throughout the UK. Um, so whatever environment we're going into, represent the people that you're trying to recruit uh, in terms of your recruiters uh, and look like them, sound like them, uh, um, talk like them. Uh, and, and that way, you know, it's not always, you know, it's not always possible to do it in every single location, but, but a cognitive effort to try and replicate the people that you're trying to recruit um, is 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 you know the way ahead in in terms of you know what I think. Um, the other point that I would make is you know when we talk about younger people these days and sort of where they come from, their backgrounds, their experiences. Um, in my experience, the vast majority of, of really young people, you know, the graduates coming through, etc. You know, they 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 really are comfortable with being in a diverse environment. You know, they've come up through school, through college, through university, through all these things, and live in very diverse um, uh, uh, environments. And, and they don't necessarily see that there's a problem. In fact, I see that many of the young people that come in, we have a lot of people that support Mosaic, our, our um, 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 ERG, and, and the vast majority of people are white. And the reason for it, from what I can make out, is that they just can't believe that this inequality exists and they absolutely rail against it and they want to do something about it and they feel really sorry for their friend that's black or brown or a female or whatever um, because they simply don't see it. So it's us, the older people, we need to... It's, you know, There's a lot more education to be done for us older people than there are for the younger people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, With a fresh new... Uh, generation this fresh new thinking and and i think you know the the, the younger generation dip, you know really shows the beauty of what it is to be british you know the new britain as i see it is a very multicultural multi-diverse uh, interspersed uh, 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 country uh, that has got so many different cultures embedded within it you know, it's not just the the, 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 the the roast beef and Yorkshire puddings country anymore. You know, curry has become like an endemic in, in our in our in our cuisine. Uh, so 
I think I think there is so much that we can learn from younger people. But in order for for us to do that, we need to build build our skills around empathy. Um, and it almost feels to me that the younger generation have got a stronger levels of empathy than than perhaps we have at our age, unless we work on it. Yeah, and, and we need to listen to them. Just because we're older or more senior, you know, it doesn't mean we're necessarily wiser, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, so we really do need to listen yeah. to them as well and empower them, empower them to make change. Yeah, that takes me back to a saying that I used to have with my staff. Uh, just because I'm, I'm the head of a department doesn't make me the one that has the monopoly on good ideas, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Just before we go, I just want to talk to you about Mosaic. So... How long has Mosaic been going? Uh, how or why was it set up? And what, what is, if there was one achievement that you'd like to make in the next 12 months, Michael, what would it be? So Mosaic started, um, it's been going a little over a year now, and it, it started really as a result of the uh, murder in America of George Floyd. Um, in so much as there were a lot of people that felt very emotional about what happened. It brought back a lot of negative memories um, about you know things that had happened to individuals back through the years, and uh, that included myself. And there was a number of us that we ended up um, writing down some posts that we put onto the MBDA intranet. So it was you know only seen by MBDA personnel, but they were quite raw and they were and you know and sort of you know sort of heart on your sleeve type stuff, yeah. um, talking about why um, um, uh, what had happened in America was so important to us and why it had flared up these kind of memories. And, and the act of actually writing the post was almost, to be honest, like a bit of a cathartic release. It was like, just need to kind of get this something down, you know, need to, need to release in some way. Uh, so anyway, these posts went up and as a result of it, um, um, it was decided to put together this group that, which we then later called Mosaic to look at championing ethnic diversity within MBDA. And I was asked to be invited to be co-chair, which I accepted, and uh, and I still am today. So we've been going just over a year now. Uh, our uh, membership is is at about 140 uh, within MBDA. Um, so so it's, it's a good, strong membership, and we have regular monthly meetings. And we, we we've pulled together a lot of initiatives, including reverse mentoring. So that's when someone that's very junior mentors someone that's very senior. Excellent. That can be really powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Um, one of the things you asked about, one of the things that we're trying to achieve in the near future and that we've been working on for a little while now is the uh, ethnicity pay gap report. So everyone would have heard of the gender pay gap report uh, and that's mandated by the government to companies to produce that each year. Um, it's um, going to be mandated for companies for the ethnicity pay gap report as well in the future. And one of the things that we said to our seniors was, it would be really powerful if you was to compile and um, 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 put out uh, this ethnicity uh, pay gap report before it was mandated by the government. Do it before it's mandated by the government because that will send a really powerful message to everyone within MBDA, one, that you're really serious about it, and two, that you're actually taking action. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to report that, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, been one of the reviewers of the, ethnicity pay gap report as it's being drafted and it's very close to being published uh, and that will be early in the new year uh, well before it's mandated by the government and I think it, it will send a really strong message so we're nearly there not quite but we're nearly there but a very very strong message 
Mosaic plays a critical part in the organisational growth uh, and the culture that uh, MBDA is seeking to establish, really. Uh, And, you know, somebody who back in the early 90s was a founding member of the Black Police Association movement and been vice chair of the National Black Police Association, I understand exactly what what it is that you're trying to achieve. But I, I applaud you for doing it in such a professional way. Uh, because there, there can be this this almost a desire to stay in this victim mode and, and, and establish that chip on your shoulder type of attitude. Uh, uh, when actually the truth of it is you're part of MBDA, you're part of a great organization, you want to help that great organization become even greater. Uh, and we'll only do that by being inclusive. I think the really important thing, you know, looking at, for example, the ethnicity pay gap report is, uh, of course, there is a gap. You know, the results are in and there is a gap. Well, of course there are. You know, there are, you know, 90-odd percent white people and however many percent of other coloured people. So, of course, there's a pay gap. But the most important thing is that the pay is fair, that, that you are being paid fairly for your position, for your experience, for your skills, et cetera, et cetera. And what this report does is is prove that by the numbers. And that's what's really, really important, that people shouldn't feel undervalued because they are not they absolutely are not. But we do need to get more people of colour, more females, more whatever it might be, closer to the, to the higher echelons of, um, of the business. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. And, and, and very often what I find, you know, in the programmes that I run with so many other organisations is that people from minority groups reach a certain point uh, within the organisation and it's not so much the organisation that prevents them from moving forward, but their own their own psyche. They build yeah. their own glass walls, glass ceilings, glass floors. Uh, so some of it is around aspiration, but some of it is around developing leadership skill sets that they may not have had the opportunity like their counterparts have had from back in the day. So they, they feel that they're almost sort of a step behind. So what we've been able to do is build those skill levels, build the aspirational levels, and then they've shot through that glass ceiling. Uh, and I said, I, I think that's probably what's going to happen uh, that you'll see with the work that you're doing. We're very much concentrated on um, uh, uh, aspiration versus perception. Yeah. So, so your aspiration is that you can go as high as you can possibly go. Your perception, and this is where the glass ceiling comes mm. in, because you look up and you can't see you, you're not represented up there. And therefore, your perception is that you can't make it. Absolutely. And that could be an unconscious thought, not a conscious thought. And, and therefore, um, it could be that, you know, people of colour tend to move on out of a company quicker than their white counterparts, for example. Uh, and they don't do that with a conscious thought of, I'm not represented, therefore I can't get to that high, therefore I'm moving on. Uh, but subconsciously, that contributes to that decision that they make. And therefore, it's really important that managers right across the board understand these issues, understand these perceptions versus aspirations, and make sure that from a management and leadership perspective, they bring their people in the right way, be it skills, be it courses, be it whatever it is, being the right experience, to enable them and to give them the, 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 uh, the opportunities 
to, to, to move upwards uh, even further than they are now. And in a very roundabout way, it takes us right back to the starting point, which is all about equity. And in order for us to get that level of equity, the challenge uh, for leaders within any organisation is to create a culture of inclusivity. Uh, where people genuinely feel appreciated for who they are and seen for who they are and welcomed for who they are and that they feel they have an equal chance of moving up into that organisation and enjoying uh, everything about that organisation. Nothing is off limits. Our diversity is is what effectively makes us ever so slightly different here and there, mm. but it's what actually adds to the spice of life. You know, It's then what brings us together because it's those things that we can discuss, it's those things that we can explore, it's those things that we can learn about each other. Absolutely. And realise that at the end of the day, we're all humans, we're all going forward, but we're not exactly the same as the person next to us. That doesn't mean that we don't deserve the same equity as the person next to us. What a great point to finish on. Thank you so much, Michael. I knew this was going to be a good, a good conversation. And we, <laughs> we might need to do a part two just around diversity, I think, because it flows right into emotional intelligence for me. But listen, thank you so much for your time, Michael. I really do appreciate it. All the very best. Cool. Thank you very much. And thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.